distance. I can see it. Next aid station. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of Aid Station. If this is your first Aid Station stop, welcome and I hope you find it supportive. It's the 12th of April and we had snow this morning in the south of England, so just perfect timing for being allowed to eat and drink outside once again. Anyway, life goes on, even outside of Covid, and at this Aid Station stop, our regular format is slightly switched up. Uh, because it includes a great interview with Dean Kit Calloway. Uh, and the trail tips and the coaching comment form part of the interview with Dean. In race news this week, the Dragons Back Race Organisers Aurea Events announced that the routes for the days five and six of the Dragons Back Race. It is now officially brutal, with day five taking in all the Brecon Horseshoe Peaks. This means that four days are of 70k at least, with more than 3,000 metres of elevation on each of these days. With Wales opening up once more, I'm off this week to recce day three of the route. This first reconnaissance will form the bulk of the second Dragon's Back special episode, which will be out soon. Once again, I continue the aid stationed interviews on the trail. A couple of weeks ago, an ultra running mate and sometimes training partner of mine, Dean Kellaway, and I went on a lovely trail run over the downs of Mid-Hampshire. This was a route of Dean's making and it was really enjoyable. So here is the sniffing and there's a lot of sniffing. It was cold and I did not have time to edit out all of the sniffs. Uh, the wind across the mic and randoms in the background warning. So here come the cowbells of inspiration. Right, you're joining me on the trails again uh, for today's interview with Dean Calloway. And we're out in the beautiful Hampshire countryside around mid-Hampshire. Um, for those that know it, we are we started in East Meon, which is a lovely village in the Meon Valley, and we're heading out towards Butser Hill, which is in the Queen Elizabeth Country Park, and it is all chalk downland, and we are going down the most amazing <laughs> downhill at the moment. I'll let Dean introduce himself. Hello, long-time friend of Kevin's, really. Known each other quite a while, probably as we say, seven, eight years, probably in total between you. Coaching at the club, yeah, and uh, and now really, yeah. Well, Dean and I have like been training partners as well the last year for the Centurion Autumn Hundred, and we did three of the four twenty-five mile legs. And God, I wish you could see how steep this is. We're going down now. Brilliant. This is fell running territory we're on at the moment. Proper fells. Uh, if you get such things in the south, and you'll hear the vibration now as we are descending. I might stop talking. Okay, I didn't fall over on that downhill. You're rejoining it. I had to turn it off, though. It was too steep to keep going. Um, so, yeah, I'm out here with Dean Calloway. 
and uh, we're actually out for what about four hours, Dean? Yeah, probably three and a half, maybe four if it goes there. Well, depends how many times you record this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, the numpty has turned up again. Um, yeah, we, we just did about 10 minutes and I hadn't turned the bloody thing on again. But there you go. Uh, we got ours. <laughs> so let's get on with it. Um, so how did you get into running then, Dean? Uh, in my sort of mid to late teens, I did really want to run. What I found was the moment I got up to about a mile in distance, I get a real lower back tightness that just, it was like it just constricted me and I couldn't, right. I couldn't seem to get through it. I don't know if it was a puberty thing or just a general yeah. imbalance thing. I remember going to see a, a chiropractor actually to try and fix it. Right, at quite a young age. Yeah. yeah. I think it was, I think it was about 17 at that point. Still really keen to run. Yeah. Couldn't seem to make it work. And I remember he cracked my back so hard that morning, it scared me. I didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And morning. And then, yeah. And from that point on, I then encountered, you know, other back pains on the back of having gone to see this chiropractor. Right. So from that point on, I was, I just gave up the idea, really. Yeah. And instead, I got into weight training, managed to put a bit of muscle on, yeah. a bit of bulk. So you're a bit of a gym bunny. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And it was all about getting bigger, right. um, eating lots of protein stuff. I enjoyed it and it did get me quite fit. And then slowly I would do a bit more and more on the treadmill to go by it. I started to go with it to yeah. more to make the areas that I wanted to look lean look lean. And, right, okay. Yeah. And sort of finish every workout in the gym with... 10 to 20 minutes of a slow jog on a treadmill. Yeah. And that went okay. And then one day the light bulb clicks that, well, where's my back pain? Ah. And yeah. the back pain's no longer there. So I took myself out on the road, no back pain. Yep. Seemed to be actually a lot fitter than I realised. Let's slowly uh, start the running. So, yep. of course, for, for quite a period of time, it was running versus gym. I put a lot of effort into the gym, wasn't really sure whether to keep going with it or not couldn't imagine the idea of being skinny <laughs> <laughs> so carried on and then what you end up with is this kind of a halfway house where your running's not as good as you want you're not really making any progress in the gym yeah but I was quite happy it was good but then wanted to run faster and a bit further but it was more about speed to start with things like running well I joined Heart Road Runners which is where eventually I met Kev yeah and of course they do, everyone does the 10k in fleet. Yeah, the walk. <laughs> Everybody does the fleet local races. Yeah, and the half marathon. And, yeah. and then of course there's always a big deal about London marathon places. And eventually I decided that I didn't want to, I couldn't really go faster in the shorter races so much. And started looking at marathons. Yeah. First marathon I look at is the, is the Loch Ness Marathon, which was frankly amazing. Yeah, well, I think that was a beautiful place, I imagine, to do it. 2008, 2009? Right. 2009, maybe. I was very much goal-oriented. So 10Ks, it had been get under 40 minutes, of which my PB still stands at 39.58 seconds. Right. <laughs> right on the cusp. But I've ticked that box. I don't need to go back. <laughs> and then half marathon. I think I wanted to get below 130. 
Okay. And I think I ended up at about 132. Right. And then I just never really went back to it, to be honest, because it turned into trail running. Yeah. And I think with the Loch Ness Marathon, I realised how beautiful it all was. Yeah, to be out on the... Yeah. ...in the countryside. And I, and I came back from that, and life took a few twists and turns, and running took, I suppose, a little bit of a backseat, but I did keep doing things like Hell Runner, um, a lot of those you know, brutal runs, those yeah. get muddy. And I enjoyed that at the time, but <laughs> the novelty wore off oh, yeah. after a while. Yeah, so with the, with the muscle mass that you had, you know, I was thinking, surely you did adventure races or whatever the obstacle ones, you know, I would have thought that was more your thing. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I also knew that if I wanted to have a sprint off with someone yeah there wasn't many people that were going to yeah. stay with me yeah it was uh so, i was quite proud of that for a long time you must have gone through a bit of a transformation if you were what sort of weight were you when you were bulked up uh late 80s probably about 88 kilograms i probably touched on close to 90 at one point yeah. but i'm only five foot nine so that's quite a lot of weight for a short guy to be carrying yeah. around, particularly so, when you want to run. Yeah, so quite um, a dense muscle mass. So was there a, much of a transformation, you know, to turn you into an ultra runner or lighten the load, as it were? Yeah, I mean, the more I ran, the less time I spent in the gym. And the more I, yeah, it just slowly started to drop off. I wasn't doing the weight so much, so therefore the strength sort of slowly dissipated but yeah I've always been naturally quite I guess strong but yeah not you know well it's been useful you've got like big thighs and calves for hill climbing anyway I've noticed and luckily I think they're more natural than they are right because yeah, I already knew that I had big thighs and calves yeah I never really focused that much of it in the gym so it was all very much Chest, biceps, right, triceps, okay. yeah. you know, um, lats, that yeah. sort of thing. All the bits that, uh, well, the poncy stuff, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to the trail running then. So you did a few of the muddy stuff. How did you get into the actual, your first ultra? So first ultra was a sort of, I went and did the Marlborough 20 was the first proper right. off-road run that I did. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, spent most of that run with, with a club mate that I'd never actually met before at that point, which was Kate Jameson. Right. And right. we uh, ran most of it together and we got near the end and still felt really good. So the next thing, next year comes around and there's the 33 mile option. Yes, so you so, went into ultra territory. So I went into ultra territory, talked another friend into doing that with me. Really just went for a jolly day out. Yeah, I don't know you realise it, but that was my first ultra as well. Ah. Although we didn't know each other that well. I was there with Hannah. Oh. I remember talking to Hannah because yeah. I'd met Hannah a few times at the club. Yeah. And uh, didn't really know anything about her ultra background. No. Which is awesome, now. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from there, it was, well, where can I go beyond that? Yeah. And uh, rather than messing around too much, the next, I think the next ultra I actually did was 
race to the stones. Oh, right, straight into a fairly meaty one. That's well, about uh, 63 miles, isn't it? Yeah, 100k. So I met my now wife, Steph, and uh, she oh, was... Oh my God, that was the same one we were on then as well. <laughs> <laughs> we're following each other around, Dean. Oh, this is it. Yeah. I'm actually much older than I look. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you were mentioning Steph. I shouldn't have yeah, talked over and, your lovely wife. And she basically said that she was happy to support me and crew me and was really keen to get involved. And yeah, probably didn't realise at the time what door she was actually opening. <laughs> and probably regrets it. <laughs> but uh, oh. but she, you know, she was amazing when we did Race to the Stones. She was at basically every aid station. Oh, um, always on hand yeah and when i'd done marlborough she uh the second time i did the 33 and the 20 actually she was very much at every aid station totally integral to my yeah running and and really made everything much ple more pleasant much lovely. more enjoyable yeah really. lovely if you can share that oh, if you can yeah. be supported with it and not yeah. feel guilty yeah it makes such a world of difference and is she into it? Does she, you know, like in terms of going to the events and being there, does she want to be there sort of thing? Yes, very, very much so. She she really loves the community side of it. She's She wants to chat to people. She wants yeah. to, um, oh, she wants to support me as much as anything else. But yes, she definitely enjoys the day out. Yeah. She enjoys the looking at the map saying well where can i see dean next yeah, yeah um excellent. what might he need what you know how can yeah. i help oh great and uh, i yeah. say that she probably the day out that she probably enjoys yeah. But. yeah but to have somebody who might be just thinking that little bit ahead that when you get there what you might need that's really good stuff yeah and uh <laughs> kept anyone over then uh, my stepdaughter libby would always be part of that it was always a team effort very much a case of Steph would come along, Libby probably wouldn't have much choice, but yeah. she would end up enjoying herself, really. Yeah. Um, you know, with COVID last year and things, it meant that she couldn't support me and just makes life... I don't know, I feel guilty when I can't yeah. have them along. And, yeah. and, and I don't enjoy it quite as much, frankly, so... Yeah. Oh, that's great. That, that really is... That it isn't totally selfishness, as I have mentioned before. <laughs> you get other people involved, especially your loved ones. So, race to the stones. As I remember it, you had a really good race. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I, I didn't know what I could do. And as the strap line says, more is in you. Yeah. And I found more. Yeah. And I learned an awful lot of lessons. The predominant one being that my legs will just keep going. Yeah. And then the other one being when you put a bladder full of water in your back of your pack. Unless you take the air out, <laughs> you sound like a sweet shop. <laughs> and this guy ran past me saying, oh, mate, is that a sweet shop in your backpack? <laughs> oh. But at that point, I didn't know that if you turn the thing upside down, suck the air out, yeah. all the noise goes. Yeah, but there you are, Dean Tip of the day. <laughs> you can keep that one. Yeah, brilliant. And I haven't mentioned that I do call him Dean Kit Calloway. So we'll get on to kit topics later, I expect, but... He loves his kit. So, race to the stones. What did that fire you up then to think? What, what am I going to do next? Yes, very much so. I suddenly realised that I could probably do most longer distances if I really wanted to. Um, my training had been okay for it. I think I'd done 
couple of marathons in the lead up to it. There was a Mion Valley one. I was more and more getting into it anyway, and it was enjoying it more and more and more. And Race to the Stones was, I remember it was baking hot that day. It was, yeah. Absolutely cooking. Yeah. And I probably ran the first five miles with you, Kev, took it yeah. fairly comfortably early on. And then, of course, you reach the, the halfway point yeah. at the 50k zone, and there's all these tents laid out where everyone that's doing it over two days is so it's, you know, starting to crash out and, yeah. and make camp for the night almost. I met Steph, you know, chatting to her made me feel all re-energised again and probably hung around for about 10-15 minutes. Yeah. Got back out on the trail. Well, that's good. So you didn't have a long break because it's very tempting, isn't it? No. I think right. I was much longer in that aid station than you were. It was very tempting to stay longer, but yeah. I knew that my muscles were starting to tighten up and it was going to take quite an effort to get me going again if they... Because I really didn't know what my legs were actually going to do. Do you remember what time you did at Race of the Stones? Yeah, well, it was 14 hours. Right, yeah. Which, looking back now, feels pretty darn slow. But at the same time, it was very much a game of uh, just making sure I got to the end. I remember when it started to get dark and uh, people around me start tripping over and yeah. looking at the time thinking, have I really been out that long? Yeah. And, and I remember chatting to this guy. He asked me what the time was and I looked at my watch and it was about six o'clock. I thought, hang on, didn't we start at eight? <laughs> and that was the first yeah, time I'd really, really yeah, clocked really. what the time was. Yeah. And uh, quite a revelation to know that yeah. I'd gone all that time. I'd never gone anywhere near that time yeah. on feet before. So had you literally gone up from like 33 miles to 63? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is amazing anyway. I mean, that, that time's really good considering that you hadn't even done anything of that distance before either you know i mean i'm, I'm still quite proud of it yeah um I, i'd love to have another go with it now to yeah see what you can do yeah. to see what i can do yeah. you know, how many hours well i say hope hours that i could shave off it to yeah what could i bring it down to i don't remember the route being <laughs> hilly so i'm going through some mud real clang yeah um, so yeah, what could I do? Uh, things. It wasn't such an expensive race. Yeah, I, 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 if I wanted to give it, spend that amount of money on that race that I've already done, right? I'd, uh, yeah, I'd want to give some serious training. But yeah, I thought the route was quite fast actually. Or <clears throat> I mean, because of the time be. of year yeah. and it was dry, and it's all on chalky downland mostly. So after race of the stones, when did the one double zero figure come into your mind? Well, it was it was always there. It was something that I'd had in the back of my mind as this holy grail for since I started doing any sort of ultra distance, really. Yeah, right. And it okay. seemed a bonkers distance. And yeah. and from a certain point of view, I really felt that calling yourself an ultra runner, dare I say, kind of meant hundred. Yes. In, in, and, and I know that's yeah. not true. And so yeah, no. I wouldn't uh, no. so, you know, take away from anybody doing anything shorter, but... In my head, that was where the, you know, the, the number sat. So the autumn hundred, this one just gone in October last year, was that was your first hundred, yeah? Yes, yes. And you completed it. What time did you do? Uh, twenty-two hours fifty-two eighteen seconds. Not, that, <laughs> not that that's ingrained in my mind at all. <laughs> but it wasn't a hundred miles. <laughs> 
I mean, goal A has got to be to complete. Yeah. Goal B for me was under 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't, and goal C didn't exist. So it was that kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. That seems to be to be a milestone, isn't it? This 100 miles inside 24 hours. Yeah, I kind of look at it that. And I'm only talking about it because I've achieved it. <laughs> I wouldn't have mentioned it otherwise if I was still on 26 hours, 11 minutes, which is what I was on. <laughs> yeah, so you knocked out a really good first 100. In fact, you seem to go really well in your first distances all the time when you're notching them up. <laughs> So, what's next on the agenda? Uh, next on the agenda is Hurtwood 50k. That's what, 17th of April, I think. Right, yeah. So, that's just around the corner. Um, after that, well, it will be South Dow's Way 100. And then, oh, right, okay. After that is Serpent Trail 50k. And then it will be Wendover Woods 50 miler all the way over in November. Right. Oh, so you've got your season planned out, which is great. As there's so much COVID been going on, it's lovely to have a whole diary full of events for the year. Um, how, so what, how have you been building up for the South Downs 100? Slowly, more slowly. <laughs> than, <laughs> I took a different route this time, whereas um, for Autumn 100, I was very much, well, I was um, furloughed. So I had, I had a good six months of um, being at home spending time with my wife and my daughter, which is amazing. And I'm so lucky to have had it in you know, a time I'd never get again, or yeah. probably most people never get. Yes. So very grateful for that. And I got the, my mileage up to sort of, you know, 60 plus miles a week, which was really, really good for me because the 50 miles I'd done previously, I really struggled to get up to 40 miles a week. Right. Okay. Um, and I'd done okay with the 50 miles. The first year I did it South Downs way, 15. Right. And then went back a year later and I managed to do it in, I think it was about 8.53. So I was really pleased to get under nine. Um, and now, now I'm, because I've got less time, because I'm back to work full time, uh, I've employed the services of Centurion. They do a, like a online kind of coaching um, system where you, you get exclusive interest, uh, access to their Facebook page where you can ask questions right. um, from the coaches like Robbie Britton, um, Tom Craggs and, uh, James. and James Elson. Yeah, and, you know, people that, oh, you know, it's great to have that sort of input. And then you get a fairly prescripted training program uh, updated monthly to follow. And it's... You, you know, you know it's fairly uh, not going to be vastly different for everybody on the pro program, but it is. But you have the ability to look at it and go, right, that's my week. I'm going to move those sessions away around to suit myself. Yeah. You can put in there in yeah. the month upcoming that you know you need a rest day there, or and they yeah. take all of that on board. And and if nothing else, it gives me a a mind's eye view of what those coaches think I need to be achieving on a weekly basis to get myself to the point of able to achieve a, yeah. hopefully another sub 24 on a hundred miler. Yeah. And, and it, it gives you a structure, doesn't it, as well to, to follow and to be disciplined around. Yeah. As opposed to just more, yeah. more, 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 more. Yeah. And then disappointed if you don't hit more. Yeah. And they, they give you lots of reassurance few um, support videos that get put out um, some zoom calls where everyone gets on board 
I haven't done one of those yet, but there's one coming up that I'll do. Well, that's good. So there is actual face-to-face coaching as well. In terms, yeah, remotely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's good, and so far so good. I've only been on it for two months. Yeah. But it, yeah, it just takes the thinking out of the situation, and and you know, last night I sat there, moved a couple of sessions around for next week. Because there's something I want to do with my wife in the midweek, you know that yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's it. It, it works really well, so I'll, I'll I'll continue that for certainly until at least the other side of the South Downs Way Hundred. Have you got uh, altered targets for the uh, South Downs Hundred in terms of times? I know it's a completely different course <laughs> to the Autumn Hundred. <laughs> I mean, well, Autumn One Hundred, I was very grateful to have some of your insights in terms of timings to get under 24 hours so i can't say on the day that i kept much of that in my head but yeah yeah it definitely helped with helping myself think right how can i be more organized so um no i think you know i've always been very much a case of start slow and i'm not necessarily get faster later but not slow as much as yes others do yeah, I think that's one of the, yeah, people say start slow and get slower, but I think it's more about starting slow and, like you say, just not getting that slow <laughs> and trying to keep it even right throughout. And I was very conscious that with A100 that I really wanted my average pace at the end to be a uh, 14-minute mile in or, or under, and my average pace at the end, including all the A stations, was 14-minute mile in. Yeah, excellent. So... You know, that's more luck than judgment, but but that definitely came from having the insights of a pretty robust plan. Yeah. So, Kev, what I'm going to do is I'm going to chuck you a tenner. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to write me off. A... <laughs> you don't have to chuck me a tenner. <laughs> you just have to do more of this podcasting stuff well, with me. <laughs> listens to this one, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we're going to... What I'm leading on to is having a kit feature on the programme and getting you involved in that at some point, I hope. Well, that'd be fun. I mean, yeah. I've probably got more kit than most and <laughs> I'm quite fussy. Yes. I don't like uh, compromises. And you keep your eye on all the... I watch a lot of YouTube, YouTube videos. Yeah. yeah. Quite a lot of podcasts that I listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, podcasts tend to be on training. YouTube videos tend to be on kit. Yes. Because obviously one's more visual than the other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Works quite well. Yeah, so you've got to find a way of making it work on a podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes, well, to be fair, it depends how long you want the segment to be. <laughs> Remembering this is for mid to backpack ultra runners. What is the one bit of kit that you 
you know, other than your bloody shorts. <laughs> What's the one bit of kit that you wouldn't start an ultra without? And do you know, the, the honest answer to that is that I'm not sure I know. The, uh, I think shoes has been my biggest bugbear. Yes. I've been through so many shoes and right. trying. I mean, I remember at Heart Roadrunners being the very first guy to turn up wearing a pair of um, calf guards, a pair of yes compression yeah. calf socks. So, yeah. and everyone was looking at me like I was yeah. some sort of yeah. oddball. And then male so ballet dancer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what are you wearing, Kev? <laughs> you, you'll notice I'm not. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then my next. Uh, you know, shot out there was the first guy to turn up wearing a pair of hockers, <laughs> which yeah. incidentally <coughs> was on the back of a conversation that I had with Kevin. Yeah. And well, we were... yeah, there's a long story to that as well, but I did a Marlowe try, which is a half Ironman distance. Um, and there was an Italian guy there in a pair of the originals that were like walking around on stilts. And lots of us were having a bit of a giggle being roadrunners and then, lo and behold it turns out to be the story that it is of Hocker <laughs> and those old pair of Stinsons that he was wearing yeah. they were people would actually really like Hocker to go back and make them more like that yes than this structured yeah um, you know a pair where you're going to have more that the rocker is great all of that stuff yeah, but yeah, I know. people do miss that super cushy softness that they were famed for yeah, yeah, I think they are losing it a bit with that. And they obviously, as you tend as a manufacturer, I guess, to come out with all sorts of different models and and try and please loads of people when the the real ethos of the company was about descending in mountains in a comfortable shoe, I think. Yeah. Well, of course, now what you can do is you can clad the mid to backpack runners from start, you know, from pretty much the whole way through. And uh, Absolutely. Are you one of these, you know, there are people that are, I've heard them talk about Salomon man. You could probably be hooker man, innovate man, a woman uh, for that matter. Are you, do you mix up the kit or do you have a favourite manufacturer that you like to use their stuff? Um, shoes, I'm very much multiple brands at the moment the in terms of actual running clothes i have underwear for underwear i literally i've only got a drawer full of underwear (laughs) and they're and they're expensive but they do last but it also means that you know the gentlemen's regions are always well covered yeah yeah so that's that's no longer a problem and hasn't been for several years because i've found underwear that was great um Socks, I only use in gingy socks, which are the toe socks. Oh, right, okay. Again, most people laugh when they see them, but yeah. when, you've, uh, when you're trying to make a pair of hockers work, knowing that your foot shape doesn't really work with their toe box, you try so many different things to right. accommodate that because the cushioning is what you needed. Yeah. So I ended up with um, silicon toe caps on my big toes. I ended up with... Um, KT tape around my little toes to stop them turning under and help them keep oh, their shape. Wow. And trying to put toe socks on with silicon toe caps <laughs> is it's quite a challenge, shall yeah. we say. You've, pro- you've come out of hokers, or hockers, hokers, and uh, what, have you, what else have you tried? So then I moved into Ultra, 
and uh, I did Marlborough 20 in a pair of Lone Peaks for many years ago. What I found was the, the foot-shaped toe box was amazing. Um, the zero drop was a bit problematic because I didn't give myself enough of a um, enough time to get used to it. Right. But what I then found was that the volume of the overall shoe was too much. And uh, I'd go somewhere running off camber and the, foot, the shoe would be trying to turn over on my foot. Right. So I went back to Hocker, sucked it up that I was going to have to make these right. compromises. You know, um, putting things like... Uh, Squirrels, nut butter, lube on my yeah, feet, yeah. Uh, or two atoms, the powder, put them into my sock, all of that good stuff. Yeah. So that worked quite well. And then, and then I th when I had the A100 coming up, and also I'd never get really more than two, 250, maybe 300 miles out of a pair of hockers, which never right. felt enough yeah. for the money. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, so I then was looking around thinking, right, I want to, Foot-shaped toe box, um, good bit of cushioning, don't really want zero drop. And then lo and behold, I found a brand called Topo Athletic. Right. Not very well known in the UK, almost not known at all. Where are they, Matt? Where are they from? Do you know? Sound New think, Zealand. I think, I think they're the States, but I'm not, oh, I'm not right. really sure. Okay. The, um, oh yeah, Taupo. Is it? It'll be after the lake then. Lake Taupo. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I got there in the end. I'm about the Akit, Kev, not the, <laughs> not the geography. Not, not the geography. Yeah. Um, but the, anyway, so I thought I would try a pair of those alongside a pair of Ultras, which I bought the Timp 2. So this is all relatively recent. This is back end of um, last year, before first lockdown. Yeah. And, and I realised that the, the Topos were, were a revelation, really. So I didn't get the calf problems because they were a four mil drop. Right. Um, this is the Topo athletic ultra venture shoe yeah um i didn't get any of the toe issues up front so no rubbing no toes curling under i mean what a revelation right so and the grip on them was really good it was a it was a similar tread to the uh vibra mega grip so oh, it was a, okay. a specific compound that topo had had them develop yeah and apparently it's not quite as good as the mega grip but it was plenty good enough for anything I needed it for. It was quite an aggressive grip, but the cushioning was, it was around 30 mil in the heel. Yeah. Although it did turn out some of that was actually in the, in the, in the sock liner rather than the, uh, in the inner sole rather than the actual cushioning itself. Yeah. But it was enough for a wintry trail run. But again, only getting around two to 300 miles out of a pair. Uh, doesn't seem enough miles. Yeah. <coughs> so I'd agree with that. They're just too expensive for that yeah. short period of time. But it's to do with the, the, the different compounds of EVA that they've got in them and they're and they're all now moving into these, these more high rebound um soles with, with more longevity to them. So I've been looking at Outro and they've got some new compounds and all of the, the write-ups with their newest range are very much the soles are mid soles are lasting longer. Yeah. Um, the uppers are, you know, more durable, and they've actually made them more narrow across the actual uh, in the foothold. So that was something that I decided to go and have a look at, and I got on really well with the Timp Two. So I dived so, in and got myself a pair of 
Olympus 4s, which I'm wearing now. And they're pretty good. They'll pick up the pace quite nicely. They've got an element of rocker in them, which you don't normally get with a, a zero drop. So that's quite nice. I then realised that running off-road in zero drop was a whole different ballgame to running in road with zero drop. So all of a sudden, up rears the calf pains, tightnesses, in strange places in my car. Yeah, I so, think I um, should explain here that if you're transitioning in a shoe and the heel to forefoot, which is the drop that we've been talking about, is too large, then you are going to run into trouble. So you need to check out that drop. It's normally around these days, four to five mil in a trail shoe. And the, the shoe you've talked about now that you're wearing, yeah. does that have a rock plate in it? Or is that just... No, no rock plate. I mean, the idea is that there's enough cushioning in it. I think it's 33 mil of cushioning. Yeah. That it, it yeah, should yeah. absorb the stones. It's a, yeah. And, and, you know, and to a point, that's true. So yeah. I would imagine if I wanted to go faster, the rock plate would become more relevant. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, you've now got new developments like the North Face Vective range, which have got the top end one. It's got a carbon plate in it. Oh, yeah. And then below that, they've got a TPU plate and then yeah, some God. other acronym that I don't know <laughs> as the range goes down. But yeah. So all of a sudden, they're starting to put all of these different technologies from the road shoes into the yeah. trail shoes. And of course, everyone says you don't need it. But hey, I'll give most things a go. It's yeah. Be more... yeah, you're you're coming from a different camp to me, probably. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've, I've got a pair of original um, ATR hokers at home. They must have done about 1,500 miles. <laughs> and I remember you pulling those shoes and, off one day and having a stone that was about yeah, an inch long I embedded I, in the sole. Yeah, I'd only had them. It was about my second run. And a flint went right through the hill and they had a big stack <laughs> and just touched the bottom of my hill. Luckily, it didn't puncture the skin. But yeah, it does bring it home to you. And I'm now wearing a pair of La Sportivas with a rock plate in <laughs> Um, not because of that, because of the training I'm doing for Dragon's Back and getting used to them and needing a rock plate for running on rock. We're still on this run and we're now heading towards Queen Elizabeth Country Park and it's still amazing. It's a fantastic route, Dean. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Glad you sorted that one out for me. Um, so in in your ultra running career, what are the, the sort of shortcuts that you could advise people on that you wish you'd known or stuff that you've done and then realised that that worked or even didn't work? that could help 
So aside from getting the right kit, yeah, you've got uh, things that um, I wish I'd come across um, something called nippies a lot earlier, <laughs> which are transparent little nipple blasters yeah, for I, men. I might guess what they were. Oh, they are a revelation. Right. And by the name of Amazon, you know, they come in big packs and yeah, I use them on every run over about 5k now. Yeah. And then they're good. So, but things like kit aside, it's about having a a mantra that you can remember, that you can say to yourself, that means something to you. Right. Something that uh, is going to carry some value and a bit of gravitas and get you going when you need it. And yep. It's not too far into your, your bag. You've got to reach in for a bit of motivation. And uh, what are those? Do you have mantras, particular ones that you use? Or? Yeah, so A100 was relentless forward progress. Right always relentlessly pushing forward didn't matter whether it was a, a walk a run an amble or whatever it might be and that you know use that through the aid stations so get in get out relentless forward progress right yes yeah, yeah. Um, no it wasn't just a case of digging that out when you're on a tough spell you know you're actually using it as a motivational tool yeah and practice with it really yeah, yeah. smaller thing as it is on on training runs, you know, so if you're on a particularly tough training run, it's going maybe not how you wanted, maybe you've forgotten a bit of kit that you really wanted to practice with that day or making it mean something to yourself. Yeah. And have you got any others? Yeah, so um how bad did you want it? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's going really badly. How bad did you actually want it? Are you prepared to go into that pain cave and yeah. How long can you stay there for? Do you want it badly enough to stay there? It's yeah. a, I mean, I've not done oh, ultras that like Dragon's Back or yeah. UTMB. Or, yeah. I mean, there are things that I, I kind of got my hot eye half on, yeah. which is why I want to do a, another 100 to get enough UTMB points to start oh, making okay. some. Yeah. See, I've got enough for everything other than UTMB. Right, yeah. But I need another 100. But, so I think the other thing is that... I don't think you've ever DNF'd either, have you? <laughs> so maybe the mantras are working. Or maybe I've just not been brave enough. <laughs> you know, it's a, but uh, going to the edge and yeah. try not to go too far. But, you know, if you do, well, hey-ho. It's only a cliff as far as your ego is concerned. No one else is going to care. No, that's um, true. Yeah. But then again, that's, that was my A100, really. I didn't know that I could do that distance. That was nearly 40 miles further than I'd ever gone before. Right. All I really knew was that I could dig deep. And if I give myself a moment's rest, as in a quick walk or a stop at an aid station, I'm quite lucky and I'm quite quickly rejuvenated. You know, as much as food is a big help, you know, depending on what you're able to keep down and practice all of that stuff. Yeah. It was... I didn't have a lot of bases to cover off in A100 other than I hadn't done the distance. Yes. Yeah. So I was confident in everything I wore, everything that I used, everything I put in my face. Yeah. It was really good. But and have you ever had any sort of nausea issues or food issues in the build-up? You know, finding out along the way that you can stomach something. Tailwind. <laughs> in a word. Yeah. The... Uh, that's a product that you tend to find at most of these ultra yeah. events and what I find is that I use up my 
I'm an SIS um, liquid that I've, I've made before the race. Yeah. It's moving to tailwind, and then I end up with terrible stomach ache, right. followed by some fairly horrendous wind. Yeah. And I, th- I think you, yeah, tailwind. I think you've tried to uh, to get yourself on it as well as if it were. Didn't you buy a supply of it and try to train yourself with yeah. it? I took it to work. Big bag of it. I was drinking it rather than um, you know water. Trying to drink it through cut pints a day. Yeah. And I ended up with exactly the same stomach cramping issues that I've had during the races. So I gave it away. <laughs> and uh, I ended up. Taking a tube of SIS, yeah, um, hydration tablets with me. And what I found was they jumped around so much in the tube, but by the time I went to pour them out into my liquid, they were just powder and no longer tablets. <laughs> so, so, the powder is so there is a learning curve to take from everything. That. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing with the whole nutrition thing, isn't it? Is if you uh, trial and error these things, you know which ones to bin off if they don't work. Well, that's right. And of course, the problem is, is that a lot of this stuff is expensive and you can't send it back if you don't like it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it can be expensive trial and error. And, uh, you know, if ever anybody wants an opinion on something, I've usually got one. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I mean, definitely. And it's certainly the purpose of this podcast is I'm all for anything that people think doesn't work for them. Because as you do see a lot of stuff out there in the ultra-running world, it's a miracle cure for everything that people are swearing by, and it isn't really. So with nutrition, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit old school, and I've I suffered a lot with nausea and different things, and I've definitely got onto solid foods and not taking products at all, really. You know, I don't do flat coke or any of these things in the aid stations. Just can't handle the sugar load. And I just wondered whether that was, you know, had you moved much more over to solid foods at all or had you got a particular solid food that you had to have, particularly on the long ones, like the 100? Yeah, I mean, I did I had a, I had a, quite a mix. Yeah. In my uh, drop bags, I had pre-made up bags and in the bags I had a, um, a Stroop waffle. Right. I have some um, peanut butter, white wraps. Yeah. They were quite good, but, you know, the real cheap and nasty peanut butter that was just a spread, no lumps. Yeah, yeah. Nothing gritty. Yeah. Um, I'd probably have, I'd have a, a selection of gels. I'd probably have one SIS, so science and sport gel. But my favourite is the uh, My Spring Energy gels. Okay. And they are, they're really good for anybody with any... Intolerances, really, because they're because they uh, they are completely natural products. Yeah, I think that's important, isn't it? The natural product, and you know, even the stuff like the fruit bars that are made from natural fruit, and you're getting fructose rather than some added sugar. Yeah, definitely. And the more natural you can keep it in your face, the the, <laughs> the less likely you are to have problems. You have a sort of strategy around when to feed your face yeah the longer the run the, the earlier i start feeding it right um so you know any normal run um up to an hour i, I probably wouldn't unless it was a baking hot day i wouldn't need anything at all no water nothing or plenty of stores there to you know internally to keep me through so but the more important it is to avoid stomach issues the best way to do that in my book is to 
start putting the food in early. Yep. Get your body used to it. So on a super long run, when your general uh, output levels of energy are going to be you know, fairly moderate, yeah, fairly low, you're going to start putting that food in as soon as possible so that your body knows where to send the blood, really, to your stomach and the muscles and divide it up a little bit more or get used to doing it early on. Yes. Whereas if you wait too long, you've already kind of asked your body to get into the theme of where that blood needs to be. Yep. And where the body needs to be focused. So if you can start as you mean to go on by putting the food in, then your body's got no surprises when you start asking it to work harder and put more in. Yeah. All you're really doing is building it up rather than the, that kind of shock tactic. Yeah. I think a lot of people will wait too late. And eight miles can be too late for some people. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, all of a sudden the body doesn't really know what to do with it. No. I'm going to put a bit of a counter argument into this because uh, do you ever use fastest runs as a training method at all to make the body get used to burning fat more um i've read a lot about them right. had lots of intention of doing them right but never really done more than a handful okay and i think the you do need to do them fairly regularly yes for your body to get used to it and yeah the uh, there's a really interesting podcast on coopcast that i listened to the other day yeah and they were talking extensively about it and, and there's a and there are certain thresholds and everybody's different with the point where they uh, they switch between um, the different energy sources that the body has to offer right. and what you really want to do is stay in the the fat burning zone yeah for as long as possible yeah and it only becomes clear um which ones you know, where you're at on that scale by actually doing lots of it yeah and it's not always the case that if you're super fit you'll be really good at fat burning yeah you uh unless you actually practice the the fasted runs as you say yeah you're probably not going to utilize it in the way you should do yeah it's just that i use i've been using them now for about three years and i find them really good and just also mentally that i know i can run a good two two and a half hours not have any issues at all and that includes no water as well but while you were on about other podcasts i was listening to the inspirational runner podcast the other day and he had ian keith on who is one of the sharp end runners uh, but he said that he goes out and he can run for six hours with no water and no food and thinks the whole thing is completely overrated <laughs> about and i guess driven by good marketing around some of the products that they expect people to eat or drink on these things um but clearly you know that's a anecdotal thing and not necessarily a scientific but ian keith has clearly discovered a way of reducing the amount of fuel he has to carry um and knows how far he can keep going and he is one of the best ultra runners there is so I guess a lot of it you know we don't live the life that Ian Keith does we're not elite athletes and uh, 
you know, if you spend a lot of time sitting in the office desk and you're a weekend warrior, ultra runner, then you have to have a different approach to nutrition. And there's also that side of the argument where most of the runs that I'm going to do race-wise, the aid stations are so frequent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily no. so relevant. It's, uh, yeah. you know, anything, if you go down the Centurion Road, which I've really enjoyed, yeah. they are, you know, they're predictably every six to eight miles. You're never really going to be without water for long. No. So, yes, although six to eight miles, it's very easy to blow up and be yeah. hard to put back together again yeah. in that period of time or yeah. in that mileage if it's a really hot day or yeah. but if it's a really hot day I'm not sure the fasted stuff's going to be the the benefit it's probably the um well the downside is going to be the lack of running in the heat yes so I don't know maybe there is a, a tie up between the two. two yeah well I think I think what it is as well as the modern human we've turned ourselves into a snacking beast that so mentally when you get into ultra running, you then start thinking, well, you know, I need to eat. I eat during the day and I'm not doing too much. Um, whereas before, and I'm going to nick this from the podcast that I listened to, the Inspirational Runner podcast, but I think that Ian, somebody said that, you know, when we were hunter-gatherers and we were out hunting our prey, we didn't stop every 20 minutes to take a gel. If you, if you stop, you didn't catch what you were after. You are probably eating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's definitely some of that where we need to get back to what we were like as humans before when we needed to, to hunt and forage. Trail tips. Dean and I have now reached Butser Hill, which is quite well known in this part of Hampshire, and it's also on the route of the Race to the King for anybody that's planning doing that or has done it before, which is a lovely route. Ends up in Winchester. But we are now climbing the hill, and Dean has got his poles out. I have got poles with me, but I can't carry the mic and the poles too well. So, so we thought we'd have a little chat about poles. What's your view, Dean? Yeah, huge <laughs> value in poles. Right. Doesn't matter whether you're going up, going down, or on the flats. As long as you've got a, a usable technique for them, yeah. they're going to give you some sort of benefit. Even if that benefit is just stability, giving you a sort of a tripod type yeah. uh, level of stability. So, so for example, now going up the poles, match the pole against the my foot stride. Right. So it just sort of gives me extra yeah, power, power. Yeah. in every step if it starts to get a bit more strenuous yeah. there's no reason why you can't throw the poles out in front of you and drag yourself up yeah. if you're going down the other way use them as a slight break not yeah. too much because you will end up uh, yeah. tripping over the thing but just help to keep you on course particularly if it's off camber or really really undulating terrain yeah I think the other thing is that they give you that drive to maintain a pace and you know you want to keep your walking pace at a fairly high cadence in an ultra, don't you? You don't want to be oh, getting to the horrible death trudge and poles can really make a difference with that. And as people like uh, Shane Benzie would say, he's not someone you've heard of, he's worth looking up. Right. Um, he, uh, he's I like do a... know about him, he's the man with the 
natural running book, isn't it? Or running more natural. It's called Running Reborn. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's all about natural movement, running like the Kenyans. And his kind of strap line is a bit like when you watch the Kenyans run, yeah. they don't look like they're putting in a huge amount of effort, but they're going along really, really quickly. Yeah. And then when they want to alter the pace, they don't actually seem to increase the level of uh, energy output or yeah. or try harder. Yeah, it's not, it's not noticeable. Yeah, and I think, well, you need poles to run like a Kenyan. <laughs> well, but the, the point with the poles is that, and, and Shane Benzie doesn't really like poles, just yeah. for, for that matter, but he does say that the faster you move your arms, the speed of your legs will follow. Yes. So if you can consciously make the pole movements at a certain pace, your legs are almost certainly going to follow. Yeah. If you make your pole movements really slow, yeah, you'll, you'll go at that. Absolutely, which is obviously fine when you're going up really technical terrain, but yeah. like we are going up that, sir, I can guarantee using my poles. Yeah, we'll get I'm using 20% less energy than yeah. Kev is right there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think that's the other thing as well, when you're on long ultras, mountain ultras, you know, clearly they are an energy saver. And I've said this before, it turns you into a quadruped and why wouldn't you want to run like a horse? So, Some people don't like them because they, they claim it or have an opinion that it damages the countryside. And, yeah. you know, I, I get it, but probably they're a lot less impacting than, say, football studs on a yeah. football pitch. They're certainly not tearing it up. It's quite a methodical yeah. space to let a set of pinpricks and yeah. certainly not everybody's got them. Yeah, no, I'm totally with the... The fact that it is definitely caught, it does cause damage, and you can see that damage at times. But you know, the alpinists have been walking with poles for the best part of a century, so we just chose to um, copy them now. Yeah, <laughs> and shepherds have always walked with a stick or a crook, so you know, there's no, nothing uh, new about it. You might want to take the viewing, Kev. Yeah, it's absolutely you. stunning. We're now right at the top, and I can see the Solent, I guess. Yep. And, uh, oh yeah, just amazing. Right at the top of one of the highest points in Hampshire. <laughs> not that it's, you know. And the wind's being kind as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah hopefully, yeah, there's not too much noise over the mic. And it's been worth it. We're about, what, 16 miles in or something? 16.3. Uh, yeah, so it's amazing. Thanks for bringing me up here again, Dean. It's a long time since I've been up here, but it's beautiful. So have you done anything abroad, Dean? Have you raced an ultra out of this country? Yeah, just the one. Uh, I've raced the Eiger Ultra Trail, the E51 race. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a long weekend away with uh, my wife, yeah. Steph, and uh, a couple of good friends, Sam Scott and Steve Finn. Um, oh, brilliant. So, oh, yeah, made a proper weekend of it. It was, it oh, was, it was probably the most fun race I've done yeah um, big eye-opener for you know races abroad so it, it, it's all the way from Airbnb you haven't really done much of that at that point um, oh, I mean Sam's a real seasoned traveler when it comes to this stuff so yeah she <laughs> we, she booked most of it yeah and uh, I think my wife had a hand in a lot of it as well but the so I mean Switzerland, it was the cleanest country I've ever been to. There was 
those cigarette butts on the floor. There was, it, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, just a whole um, new experience of everything country. was quite expensive yeah. though. That's yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that wasn't such a cheap one to do. Well, no, it wasn't, but but worth it. Yeah. Uh, I'd definitely do it again. I mean, I wanted to do the the E101, so the 101 kilometre, but picked up an injury a couple of months before and come out the other side of it. Okay. And uh, so dropped down to the the E51. Well, what was the terrain like for that then? Mountainous. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, Iger's in the, in the clue, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, I mean, obviously you don't go up the north face of the Iger, <laughs> but the strap line was that it was as tough as going up the north face of the oh, Iger. Right. But Do you know what the vert was? I can't remember. It was no. all the way back in uh, 2017 now. All oh, right. So it was a uh, quite a long time ago, but it was it was a proper adventure. You know, it was the first time I'd really turned up where proper kit checks, um, real uh, you know village sort of scenario with lots of stalls and people to talk to. And yeah, the, before the race, you go for the they're up on the stage with the the top runners and. Yeah, so there's a whole ultra running scene going on beforehand as well, yeah. Yeah, and that was very much... But maybe the, the bit that I was... I enjoyed all of it, so there was nothing I'd take from it, but yeah. or take away from it. But the uh, what I would say is when you've got your poles and you're stomping up the side of what's basically a mountainside, yeah. it's, it's quite a long drag going, you know, stepping over boulders and just clambering yeah. up. I mean, when you get to the top, every bit inch of that climb <laughs> it's really it worth is, it. is yeah. absolutely oh, worth it. But wow! And then descending as well. Yeah. Some of the descents were absolutely outstanding. And the what you would find is some of the bits that I would class as being really technical, the sort of link sections together, yeah. um, where there's a, a chain on the side of a. Oh yeah. A, a yeah. Almost. yeah. Yeah, and you you know, and there's just a sheer drop to so the three foot to your right. And I'm being really nervous and skittish across them. Right, yeah. And the locals are just... <laughs> they're, they're really frowning at me and cutting. And that what we'd find is, of course, we'd get to something a little more English-like. Oh, yeah. And I'd be ploughing past them and oh, really? overtaking them again. So, so there, was, there was a fair amount of runnable on these Alpine ones. Yeah, think? definitely. And the trick right. was really making sure that your legs weren't so trashed that you couldn't enjoy those runnable bits. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how good a job of that I actually did, but yeah. I, I, I can't remember how long it took me or anything. <laughs> to be, yeah. But I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. But it, like I say, it was, life's changed a bit, you know. Now I've got a yes. two-year-old. Yeah, yeah. The, the different things, aren't they, to consider? Yeah, uh, uh, the priorities are very different. But you know, my, my, I can just imagine taking my daughter out to places like that, and. Uh, and her just absolutely loving it. I mean, yeah. she's named after Emily Forsberg, so oh, we're really? hoping there's a bit of a rub off oh, on that. Oh, yeah, get that yeah, one yeah. quiet. So she got an unusual right. spelling of Emily. Oh. oh so if you say it like Emily Forsberg and you're yeah. about there. Oh, that's so much better than calling her after some football player. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. The, uh, and, and she just loves to run. Um, you know, it's... Uh, my son likes to run a bit. He's older. He's 24 now. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's gone off in a bit of a different direction to running. But, hey, he, I think he'll come back to it. He seems to dabble. Yeah, I think exposing them to 
Well, certainly exposing them to running early is a great thing. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, all sport benefits from running. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, Emily's, what, she's two and a half. She just runs and yeah. runs and runs. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's because she sees mummy and daddy doing a lot of running. But uh, but they want to at that age as well, don't they? Definitely. It's like the freedom is amazing. She'll run, 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 never really tire out. And then all of no. a sudden, zonk, bang, yeah. she's asleep. Yeah, yeah, that's the kids. Totally different engine to us. <laughs> Wish I had a kid's engine at the time. And my stepdaughter, Libby, I'm mean, tried for many years to get her running, but it didn't seem to be her thing. And then all of a sudden she's woken up to it and she, every time she goes out now, she wants to run a new 5k PB. And oh, excellent. It's, uh, yeah, it's lo lovely to see, isn't it? That discover when they discover, I think it's a discovery not of running, but of themselves more, isn't it? Yeah. What they can achieve. But, I mean, she's still in that phase where she, she's quite tall and right. she's quite slender. And all she wants to do is go faster and faster. And right. uh, what I really need to do is give her a bit of structure. But yes. Uh, as we know, 15-year-olds don't like a lot of direction. <laughs> now, uh, they must be the hardest people to coach. But Steph tells me that you know, she'd like that if I can come up with a plan that'll work for us. I need to have a conversation yeah. with her, but not that I'm a coach, but... Oh, Yo, you're on your way. You're doing the leader in running fitness. Yes. With EA, so that's great. Having done most of the modules for that now. Good. So I've got my Zoom call next weekend for the Zoom classroom. Brilliant. Yeah, I guess it's all been virtual, hasn't it? The, the coaching stuff with Basically. EA. But, but that's been quite a, you know, eye-opener in some of the training that I've done for the, for the life course. So um, and I'll be, I'm hoping that the running club that I run with, who helped me do the course, um, will, you know, start talking ultra-distance stuff. Yeah, and they'll start hopefully using me as a sounding post for people when they want to talk kit, strategy, nutrition... Yeah. Those sorts of things. So I've got to make sure what I say is yeah. about right. right. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I think it's really great that you can divert out into something like coaching and helping others out of this sport, you know, out of ultra running rather than just uh, endurance road running all the time. So we're just jogging back into uh, East Meon now, East Meon Village. It's been a spectacular run, Dean. Thanks very much. Just what I needed for my DBRs training. And I guess it's what you need as well for South Downs 100. <laughs> so that's been brilliant. And just like to say thanks very much. Not only for dragging my sorry backside round here, but for, for the interview. Loads of great stuff. Um, and, you know... Keep doing it, <laughs> keep coaching, keep running and enjoying it. Thanks, Kev. I mean, <laughs> you've had some fairly epic ultra runners on before me. Yeah. I'm a dabbler in comparison, but I, know, but I do enjoy it, so I'm happy yeah. to talk about it. Absolutely. And that's what it's about, is sharing with everybody else out there. Mid to backpackers, you're out on their long runs, maybe listening to this or wanting to pick up some tips. You know, and even if they pick up one or two things from it and don't listen to the whole thing, it's all got to be good for all of us.
Cheers, Dean. Thanks, Kev. To help with your ultra running progress, get regular up-to-date news, free advice and motivation for ultra running, subscribe to the Aid Station podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of your other favourite podcast libraries. You can also get Aid Station via www.aidstation.co.uk. Also, please see the show notes below for the episode to find the links to all the mentioned recommendation and events. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Aid Station, and if you did, please leave a review and subscribe. In another bit of news, I've set up a Facebook page for Aid Station. It's an Aid Station ultra running community, um, and it'd be great to get you along there. Please just feel free, search it up on Facebook and come along, and you can then join in with the community stuff on there asking questions and get direct access to me if you want to, to talk about anything ultra. So it'd be great to see you along there. And until then, and until the next station comes along, keep running, enjoying your running, and I hope to see you out there on the trail soon. Bye for now. Thank you.